Hi everyone, this is Graham Cowan and welcome to the Caring CEO podcast brought to you by WeCare365. We created this podcast because we believe that every leader's number one priority is to build a more caring and resilient team who enjoys growing together. It is my job to interview CEOs and other senior leaders who value building both a culture of care and a culture of high performance. I'm very keen to understand how they do this, and we hope there will be lots of insights for anyone who wants to build a high-performing team. Robert Jersey's story is a remarkable tale of resilience and determination. Once homeless, Robert faced numerous challenges that really tested his resolve. Education was the pathway out of this crisis, and he went on to get master's degrees in pharmacology and technology. He then pursued an IT career, which took him from Australia also to Europe and back again. He had a short stint at KPMG before starting his own business, OneCloudX. He really focuses on understanding the motivators and values of every employee as he believes that this demonstrates a real culture of care. His clients describe him as kind, thoughtful and supportive. His ability to transform his life and uh, to be quite honest, a real hero's journey is very inspirational. Enjoy. It's a real pleasure to welcome Robert Jewisek to The Caring CEO. Welcome, Robert. Nice to meet you. Thank you, Graham. What does care in the workplace mean to you? Oh, it's, um, it's a very important topic, especially in this uh, day and age, um, because change of work how we work, the places we work, coming out of COVID, it's a it's it's constant changing environments and uh, and trying to keep the employees happy um, and stimulated. Um, it's getting harder and harder. Um, so it's very important to me to to make sure that their well being, make sure that they're they're cared for, they're taken care of in every possible way in the ever changing environment. So yeah, so it's it's very important to me. And how do you make that happen? You know, when you get together with them, I guess physically as well as remotely, how do you keep tabs on people's well-being? Um, so I do my best to come to the office as often as possible um, to see the team. I do travel interstate to see the other team members as well and, and catch up with them. Um, majority of them interstate do work from home compared to the team in Melbourne that do work from the office um, or there is a hybrid sort of environment. So catching up with them one-on-one um, or in a group, yeah, I think it's very important to not just talk about work but also talk about what's going on in their life and and even just have a laugh with them at a personal level um, while still having that still boss-employee relationship intact, that that's also very important because you don't want to murmur the lines as well. <laughs> yeah, but it really works, doesn't it? You know, if people like coming to work, like interacting with their colleagues, it just makes a much better formula for well-being and success as the group, doesn't it? It does. It does, especially when they begin to make friendships between each other mm. and, and also catch up out of work. So that also helps as well. So, yeah, hiring people, I think, and knowing who to hire is probably the most important job to, for me in my yeah. role. And we will talk a lot about, um, you know, how you work with your team and how you increase the engagement and support and results. But you have a really interesting backstory, and uh, I think our viewers and listeners would be really 
really interested to know about it. Um, so would you mind just sharing? You were, you know, 18-year-old, you were hoping to play competitive soccer, so that as a career. And just explain what happened after that. <laughs> oh, basically I um, had a career-ending injury at 18, um, ankle, um, numerous operations later, never repair or or get back into it in, in, in full vigor. Um, so I had to make a conscious decision. What do I do uh, in my career? I wasn't going to play internationally. I wasn't going to be a professional soccer player. So I thought, okay, what do I do? And and it took a long time to to get over the fact that I wasn't going to be what I wanted to be, um, especially when you've worked your whole life, you know, from the age of nine, playing one sport, and that's all you did, and everything else was secondary to that. Um, so I went through a bit of a you know, turbulent uh, time in my life at that stage. Um, you know, father kicked me out at home and living out of my car for six months and followed friends when I worked uh, at a bar in, in town, offered me the commission flat to live in, which I did for nearly a year and a half and and still trying to work out what I want to do with my life whilst I was still doing hospitality, working from, you know, one nightclub to a restaurant to, you know, and, and the like for, for a few years and then... Um, Ended up meeting, meeting somebody and and they helped me kind of get back on on track and and you know build the relationship back up with my parents again and and then I, I just thought okay how am I going to stay in a straight and narrow and then I decided that the only way to do that is to study and keep my mind active um, and then just went from one degree to another degree to another degree and and then uh, getting a full time job and and then growing my career from there and just keep moving forward and then you know here here, here I am today. And just jumping back, why did your dad kick you out of home? Oh, it's, a, it's an interesting story uh, and it's quite quite silly, to be honest, because uh, I was working in hospitality. I'd always come home at 1, 2 a.m. in the morning and I'd be rummaging through the fridge and rummaging through the wardrobe and, and he thought I was using his house as a as a, as a halfway home and uh, and I was only there to take some food and, uh, and sleep in the bed and never see you any time after that. So he so said, you know what, if you're not contributing to his household, out you go. And then uh, at 3 a.m. in the morning, he kicked me out, and I'm like, okay, where do I go now? Um, and that's pretty much what happened. Wow, wow. And that must have been really tough living, you know, out of a car. Do you ever think back on those times and think, how did I do that? Uh, it's it's interesting because when you put in a position, um, of, you know, when you put in that sort of position, you have no idea what you're going to do. You're like, okay, do I consult my friends? Do I, you know, who do I talk to? And, and it somewhat is a little bit embarrassing as well as a person to be telling someone I don't have anywhere to go. To, uh, I don't have enough money to even go find a place to rent or find a hotel or a motel for the night. So it's actually quite an embarrassing thing. Um, so you keep those sort of things close to your chest and until you, you know, until someone you connect with, um, Gives you the opportunity, and that's how I ended up getting into a commission flat um, whilst I was, you know, taking care of that for them whilst they've been overseas for a period of time. And you mentioned that education was your pathway out, um, and you have an interesting combination of degrees. What did you do first? Uh, I did a bachelor of science at, at Monash. So yeah, that was that was my first degree. So I started university at seventeen, just uh, just before the career ended. Um, so I was lucky to also have that to bounce off. Um, but then that kind of fell away to the wayside after three years. And I'm like, okay, what am I, this is not going to give me a job. It's not going to do anything. So then I 
no. and from there into a um, into into hospitality, and then from there kind of just moved around from restaurant to bar um, and the like um, because it paid more money than working as a uh, a researcher at Royal Melbourne Hospital, um, you know, researching type one diabetes it was, it was a lot more. It was a lot more monetary, you know, yeah, beneficial than uh, than that. So, so yeah, so that's uh, that's how that happened. And then um, you worked your way into the IT area. How did that door open? So after um, after I you know decided hospitality was enough for me in the late nights, uh, I had a friend of mine who. Uh, who I'd given a job with me in a restaurant who just finished his accounting degree and he ended up working for Amcor um, through a scholarship program. And he said, oh, Rob, you know, there's a there's a job on the notice board as a customer service rep at, uh, you know, for Australian paper, apply for it and, uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be your, I'll be your spokesperson or your kind of your reference to, to get you in the door. So then I ended up doing that and that kind of jumped from one job to the next and getting promoted along the way. And then I got thrown into a project implementing um, SAP within the whole business, and uh, and as part of that, they offered whether or not they wanted to pay for my um, schooling and tuition to my for my masters of IT, um, which I which I did as well, and that's how I kind of created a pathway to you know work in work in that industry, work in IT, and also get the opportunity to travel overseas for a few years, rolling out systems across Europe as well. Yeah, that, that must have been an amazing move to be in Europe, working in a number of countries. What did you come away from with the, what were the big insights that you had during that period? Oh, for me, it was about learning who I am as a person, um, especially living in a country because I lived in Germany. Uh, it was the first port of call for me in a little town outside of Munich called Augsburg. Um, so 200,000 people town, no one spoke a word of English, um, and I didn't speak a word of German. Um, so that was interesting to be able to communicate, um, well, not communicate, do hand signals and you walk into supermarkets, you have no idea what the food is because you can't read the labels and you're just trying to work it all out. And uh, and my partner with Sam and I were just like, you know, trying to work out how do we fit into here? How do we migrate? And then, you know, just interesting stories of just getting my pay slip and the uh, and back then, there was no Google to to translate, you know, what the uh, payslip was. And I'm like looking at my payslip, and I'm looking down, and this little word in there, it's called Kirschsteuer. And I'm like, what the hell is Kirschsteuer? So I, and back then, it was Babbenfish, if you do recall, you know, the early days of internet and translating, you know, um, it was Babbenfish. So I put in Kirschsteuer, and it came out and said church tax. And I'm like, what the hell? How am I paying church tax? <laughs> and so I, I ended up going to the HR and I'm like, uh, you know, Frau Becker, you know, what's this, you know, what's this? Uh, and she's like, oh, you, when you fill out the immigration forms, you you said you're, you're, um, you're Catholic. So because you're Catholic, you have to pay taxes to the church. <laughs> and, and I'm like, but I don't speak a word of German. Like how do I, even if I was to go to a mass on the Sunday, like, I wouldn't understand a word they're saying. Bad luck, you have to pay so I said, how do I stop being Catholic? Because this was a fair chunk of coin, right? We're talking like, you know, five, six hundred euros back then. And like, and she goes, oh, we have to go to City Hall and and uh, you have to denounce yourself as a Catholic. And and I said, yeah, no worries. I'll denounce myself tomorrow. Like, and uh, we, we go to City Hall and and uh, I remember, you know, she 
gave shit, spoke to the lady behind the counter and told them that I wanted to announce myself as being Catholic and and all these like near cat popped up going, who doesn't want to be Catholic? Who doesn't want to be Catholic? And they looked at me, I'm like so embarrassed. And I'm like, so I said, can we just pay and leave? And and then I felt so guilty afterwards because, you know, in, in Germany, the, um, the, the system is set up where the actual church was paid for the social system. So all the public housing and all the retirement villages are all paid by the churches. So I ended up feeling extremely guilty as a result of not being Catholic. Um, so <laughs> I apologize um, for any. Yeah. So that was one of the stories of, of living in Europe, which I thought would be good to share. <laughs> Very good. And um, you obviously felt that, that you had a good aptitude for IT and systems and processes. How did that evolve? And maybe if you just give people a quick overview of, you know, how you progressed from Amcor to other mm. places you worked until where you are now in your own business. Yeah, so so Amcor, I started off in customer service um, and then I moved into managing, you know, orders coming on paper machines at Maryvale down in the uh, Latrobe Valley of Victoria where they build, where they make reflex paper and a lot of the packaging papers. So I was responsible for managing orders and then I moved into more of a, a process role of helping the business roll out new technology system for their whole business. So I became the manufacturing lead for that. And then from there, um, they established an IT group to support the business for new requirements. So as business needed new functionality in, in the tech stack, in the ERP system, then uh, and I was responsible for translating those into, into system um, solutions for, for the team to, to implement. And then one day there was an opportunity in Europe and they said, well, we're rolling out an ERP across 19 countries in Europe. Do you want to be part of that? So I packed up my bags and had the lovely opportunity of moving there for a few years and and then we moved back to Australia uh, after my wife at the time her mother had a stroke so we we packed up and and uh, and she was pregnant at the time just about to give birth to our daughter and then at that point um, I ended up becoming a project manager for uh, an ERP vendor uh, you know so so I had gone from being on the business side of this of the of the coin to being now on the vendor side of the coin, helping them, helping businesses, um, you know, have these ERP systems implemented for them. And then from that, I ended up got promoted as professional services director um, and I had a team underneath me. And then from that, I ended up um, moving and said, I can't do this anymore because I didn't have a team in Australia anymore. Um, so I had to use the US and European team members. I was working quite late hours trying to, you know, manage manage this, you know, the whole team and what we need to do here. And then that then trans, translated into um, moving and working um, for another ERP reseller doing pre-sales. So I was setting up systems and showing the organizations how they could utilize it and and how it worked in their, in their organization. And, and then that then moved into a sales role and I thought, and I went to KPMG and then I ended up becoming a sales role again. And then one day... All these customers started ringing me up, wanted the wanting support for the old company I used to work for, and that's how this whole business started. So I went from one client to two to five to ten, and <laughs> here we are, five years later, and you know, still going. Yeah, wonderful. How how big's your team now? I'd say we're thirty people in total across yeah. uh, Australia and the Philippines. Yeah, and and what's what's the unique 
um, offer that you take to the, to the market, uh, you know, you've grown, you're obviously delivering results. What do you think is, is unique about what you do? Um, so I've had the luxury of implementing ERP systems, uh, not just one, but different bearing ERP systems uh, throughout my career. So I've seen different ways of, of how organizations implement. I've seen the good and I've seen the bad and I've seen the indifferent. Um, and, and as a result, I've kind of taken the best of each, each one I've been a part of, um, and just created my own, uh, implementation methodology that uses a bit of waterfall and a bit of agile stuck together kind of to, to help, um, users feel and touch and get to play with the system from day one instead of, you know, right at the end of an implementation, which is when most organizations tend to have their users play with the system before they go live. Yeah, very good. And for the listeners that aren't familiar with IT, what how do you describe ERP? What's what? How do you describe that to them? So an ERP, in a nutshell, is an end-to-end solution that manages your business process in your organisation. So whether it's accounting functions, whether it's your you know sales functions, your procurement functions, your warehouse functions, if you're buying and selling products or if you're a services business doing projects or you have a team on the road that you're scheduling and managing their the service tickets um, all of that is is an ERP under the one database under the one solution so all the data sits in one area that you can report on yeah very good with your executive team how do you keep them on track how do you make sure that you're focusing on the right things uh can you just give a bit, bit of background behind that? Yeah. Um, so we have a continuous catch-up session, like we have a catch-up session every, twice a week, um, usually Mondays and Fridays uh, with the senior management team, and we go through, okay, what's everyone working on? What's happening at the moment? What's the pipeline looking like? Where do we need to focus our time? And so on and so forth. So so that's within the actual you know, senior management team, but we also do the same in the actual consulting team as well. So when, you know, every Mondays and Fridays management team, we're also doing resource planning as well. Okay, so what projects do we have? Which people need to be on it? You know, what activities need to happen? How do we kind of manage those with the, with the customers and the consultants and making sure that the whole plan of what we're executing is, uh, is you know, is, is, is on time and, and on budget. Thanks for being part of the Care First movement. You may be interested in some free resources that we've prepared at wecare365.com.au. First resource is a building a mentally healthy culture checklist, which contains all the elements that you'll need to prepare and launch a mentally healthy workplace program and how to build momentum for up to a year after that launch. The second resource is how to support a teammate or a loved one in distress poster. This provides guidance about how to identify someone who is struggling, how to have the are you okay conversation with empathy, and how to guide them to the help they need. These resources can be found at wecare365.com.au. You mentioned earlier that you also have people in the Philippines. How do you go about um, you know, sourcing and choosing those people? Yes. So we're very lucky because um, the product that we that we sell and manage and implement, which is Oracle NetSuite, their their, their support team is at it, is in the Philippines. Right. So as a result of that, a lot of a lot of the, the Manila team want to explore new opportunities and get involved in implementations. 
And as a result of that, we end up uh, hiring off the back end of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, we we have um, one person based in the Philippines in our team, and they're, they're a wonderful group of people, aren't they? They're, they're very good-hearted, very conscientious, um, a lovely, lovely group, of, and and also, you know, often quite well educated as well. Uh, you know, it's a, it's it's quite extraordinary. Um, it's wonderful that uh, you know we can offer benefits to them because it, it, if you've been there, you may have been, but it, it's a very poor mm. country. It's a very poor country mm. for mm. a group that's so well educated. It's um, yeah. I was there literally three weeks ago. Um, for the first time ever, um, so just even coming into into Manila um, and the heat and the humidity, it's uh, it's quite full on. But yet, uh, you know, coming out of the airport and uh, and just looking around and just seeing where you know you're right, um, we we are very blessed over here in Australia, that's for sure. Um, yeah, but it is it is a beautiful country. I, I did enjoy my time there. And even just getting on a plane and seeing some of the islands, it's like, oh, it's magnificent how beautiful, you know, how beautiful the country is. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's a gorgeous place. With your customers, how do you how do you work with them, you know, to really build ongoing value for for them and for you? So so um we have two types of customers. The customer that is a, is either on NetSuite today, Salesforce today, that wants to look at optimizing what they've got. Because um, with these technologies, they're always create new functionalities and, and every customer reaps those um, new functionalities at every upgrade. So it's only one version, so every every customer gets to see that. So as a result, a lot of them don't realize what functionalities have come out and, and how they can utilize that in their business. So we regularly perform audits um, where we come in um, and just review how they're operating today and how to utilize the system and then come up with recommendations based on that and the, an ROI and return on investment based on that in terms of, okay, you know, if you do it this way, you could potentially save, you know, 40 hours a week or a month or, and that translates into this many dollars and compared to what it's going to cost you to implement. So we do a, a full-blown audit for those and then implement um, whatever we recommended based on the kind of priority um, that the customer comes back to us on. So that's kind of like existing Compared to the new new customers who are looking at uh, you know rolling out NetSuite or Salesforce in their business, um, they would have either come from a, either MyOb or Zero or some accounting package and they need to move up to 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 obtain the additional functionality they're looking for because the add-ons and the plugins that they've been using is now costly um, and therefore it makes sense to move to a one database solution like an ERP. So then through that journey, we start off with the discovery, we, we engage and say, okay, you know, what, you know, when we analyze how they do things today and then define user stories, define solution design documents to, to kind of lock that scope in so everyone understands upfront what they're getting. And then from that, we then implemented a very agile sprint sort of methodology. Um, so what that means is, you know, it's like building a house, you know, in an ERP. It uh, starts off with accounting and then you make sure you've got your accounts all set up correctly and then you move into the items. If you, then you move into purchasing and then sales. And, and then as part of all those individual sprints, we call them, um, we're configuring, we're training the team on the customer side. They're testing the solution, signing off, and we're moving to the next until we get to the last 
sprint where we do a pull into wind and then go live and turn it on, support them for years. Yeah, to come. yeah, it's uh, you know a long has to be a long term relationship, I guess, to um, you know be on that journey because it's continually evolving, isn't it? And I've got a a friend who's a futurist and he's been you know following AI for the last twenty years, but he reckons. In the last six months, more's happened than the previous twenty years. Is that also impacting your business? Um, not much. So um, we we have started seeing a lot more um, software companies investing a lot more dollars in the last couple of years in AI, especially mm-hmm. around maybe some of the you know the accounts payable, the accounts receivable functions um, to automate some of the accounting pieces. But I think. For for ERP software, um, I think there's still a bit of a bit of um, a bit way to go to to get to that point of replacing functions in the organisation. Because I think they're still trying to work out how and what and and uh, you know what they can and cannot do with it compared to the chat GBTs and the you know and those elements of you know yeah. But they incorporate a lot of machine learning into demand planning for products and you know defining. What forecasts look like based on you know algorithmic uh, machine learning um, and algorithms. Yeah, and I see in the world of AI and ChatGPT, it's just changing dramatically. I saw in the paper this moring that the former CEO and two IC have now joined Microsoft. Mm. <laughs> and, mm. uh, mm. and Microsoft also owns forty nine percent of AI. So it's, uh, and OpenAI just came back saying we want him back. <laughs> Uh, try and follow that. Uh, I know. It's become a bit of a um, a soap opera. It's amazing. Uh, and and when you think about reflecting on your past and the lessons you've learned, the people that you've worked for, what have been significant leadership insights you've gained along the way? Can you think of any examples? And I, was, I think if I was to look at myself and and where I've started to where, to where I've become and where I want to be, um, probably the most important lesson that I've learned is the bosses that I actually embraced and actually um, allowed me to grow were the ones that left me to my devices, left me to, you know, do what I wanted to, because I had the enthusiasm, I had the drive, I had the push, I had everything, and I just used them as, a, as the sounding board. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... So, so yeah, not being controlling um, was very important to my my progression. Where the ones that did try to control me um, didn't do well, and mm. with me, and 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 it was a nightmare uh, for them. Um, and they ended up getting rid of me to somebody else. Who <laughs> so yeah. So so I suppose everybody needs different levels of management depending on you know the employee and how they are. Um, but one of the insights for me is is uh, everyone can't be managed the same. Mm-hmm. Everyone needs to be managed differently, or and it depends on their personality and who they are and and how they best can deliver their work. And and when you work with someone, do you go through that sort of process of how do you, how do you understand how they work best? Do you have a, a way of doing that? Um, the way I do it is just by letting them speak. Um, and and just feeling their energy, feeling what they, well, how they, you know, how they conduct themselves, 
feeling their body language, feeling, you know, just, just feeling really just, it's just, just, it's just a feeling of letting them be who they are as an individual and then trying to work out how best to approach, um, and best maximize their, their performance, um, you know, and based on where they want to go. But, but it's also very hard because a lot of people don't really want to open up as well, right? They're still, I don't know, they're, they're very guarded. So you have to kind of get them out of the workplace a little bit, get them into a position where you can kind of have that opportunity to learn who they really are and and, and have that one-on-one with them. So so that's what I try to do with all my employees. Yeah. And do you have, uh, you know, regular off-sites? Is that um, something that you tried to build into each year? Yeah. Um, so we we do catch up every quarter, the whole team. So, you know, one of us goes to Manila, for example, to see the team there. Um, and then whenever we're in the office, um, we always tend to catch up with the team members for a small team. So we have to go and lunch together or once together or, you know, we have a, you know, um, a team catch up every quarter as well where one of the senior director or one of the directors will go out and see the team, catch up with them one-on-one and, and the like, have a beer or and just just get to get to hear and get to see what they're all feeling and how they're all going. But you can always it's it's always harder through Zoom or Teams to really feel how people are going. Um, because either they, but we have a policy of um, you can't have your camera off. Um, you have to have your camera on. Um, uh, but that's that's and that way you kind of get to see who's engaged, and if they're not engaged. Then you can kind of work, you know, work with them to find out, okay, are you okay? What's going on? Do you have a work? Okay, maybe take some time off or are you stressed out about this or what's going on in your personal life? And, and then trying to work out ways to, to make sure that their well being is, uh, is taken care of. Yeah. And, and in terms of your insights or learning new things, do you tend to do that by listening to podcasts or watching videos or reading books? What's, what's your, favorite way of keeping up to speed with what's happening i would say youtube (laughs) (laughs) every every spare moment i'm either on youtube watching watching a video of of something um of late you know it's been it's been a lot on blockchain blockchain tech um you know obviously there's you know the whole Bitcoin and all the other cryptocurrencies that keep coming in and out of the news, depending on how how high or how low the price is going. But uh, I think the actual technology itself and blockchain has um, has has a lot of merit, a lot of uh, use cases that we're only just beginning to to work out. So, like you said earlier, Graham, you know um, AI is is the flavor of the month. Um, you know, ten years ago, twenty years ago, it was cloud IT, and <laughs> and uh, you know, three years ago it was blockchain, and and um, and it kind of revolves around that. And then you know, another year or so, it might be totally something else. It might be the brain chip that Elon Musk is wanting to put in, and you know, and that's the next flavor. And <laughs> so it's uh, it's interesting to yeah. So I watch a lot of videos on that and that, and also try to understand what use cases we 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 could potentially be able to you know incorporate into into business tech. Yeah, it's an extraordinary resource, YouTube, isn't it? List and volume, and there's some amazing quality on there as well, like really high quality stuff. I even do uh, you know some workouts, that, you know, using dumbbells and stuff. We follow a few people there, and yeah, and I, and I actually first learned it through my son and. Um, Anything Adam wanted to learn about, he always went to YouTube and he obviously 
learn a way to, you know, fine tune the selections to get the best ones and that sort of thing. But every subject is just amazing. It really is. And, uh, yeah, you know, we had the, um, you know, the cricket world cup and I, I didn't stay up at three o'clock in the morning. So oh, yeah. <laughs> go to YouTube and, uh, you know, find the highlights there. But, yeah. And then I guess, you know, because it has an algorithm, you get the feeds of things consistently with what you've been looking at. So it becomes a never-ending cycle, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it's great. I think it's, uh, you know, you can catch up in the day, you can yeah. you know, listen to whatever, whatever tickles your fancy. You just go to YouTube and say, how do I do this? And even like, you know, how do I um, put a tile? Like you've got a broken tile. How do I fix a tile? You know, how do Whatever, whatever you want, it's all, it's all, it's all there. Um, um, and this is not a paid sponsor, that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think like, Google really has sponsorship. <laughs> uh, and uh, there was, I saw you did a, a video, um, you know, supporting Food Bank. Would you like to just give a bit of background about why you chose that uh, charity to support and um, what you're doing to assist them. Yeah. Um, so that's probably uh, a few years ago now when we we did that thing with Food Bank. Um, it's, the reason why is is because of my past and what happened. And I still remember, you know, even my father back in the day when he grew up in Croatia after World War II and not having any food and, and, and hence he wanted to make sure one of his biggest things from coming to Australia was to never have any of his kids be hungry. Mm. Um, but then I experienced hunger. We don't pick that home ironically enough because I was eating out of his cupboard, right? So how wrong is that? Um, so, so yeah, so I thought um, we should do something with Food Bank. Um, at that stage we were, we were relatively small and we just started off. Um, we haven't done anything in the last few years, but I, I intend to pick that up again. Um, and and uh, and definitely contribute. Um, I remember we did. I did go out there one day and, and saw their whole operation and and how they managed to you know get the level of donations from large corporations, large food corporations. You know they had, had everything there, and it was amazing the amount of effort the volunteers they had. And and it's yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, eternally grateful to to see that and 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 what they can do for the people who are in need and it's only getting worse as the day goes by. But, yeah, I think we will definitely start looking at um, helping out food back again for sure. Yeah. What um, what are the barriers for you of, you know, having a really motivated and able workforce? What, what, are, the, what are the things that prevent that happening or, or stop the optimising? Um, I think... Um, it has to be a fine line because when I first started it, so I had a few friends be part of the journey with me and mixing friendships with business isn't usually a good mix in my experience because uh, there's blurred lines um, because then, you know, what's friendship and what's business and, and then, you know, animosity and kind of things tend to. So so I think having a, having a proper structure in place where, the boss is the boss and the employees and the employees and everyone knows their roles and responsibilities. Everyone's pretty clear on 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 um on what they're here to do and and how they're meant to, you know, conduct themselves and be professional in every sort of aspect. Um so so I think um that being yeah, having that having that understanding of roles and responsibilities in an organization and 
is, is probably one of the most important things because if you start blurry nose, um, then I think what happens is it also tends to create a not a great culture because then silos of teams <laughs> get built to you know get start happening and then internal fighting and you kind of like trying to work out okay how do we stop this and and we had that happen a few years ago so so yeah that's one of the lessons from me yeah yeah and um it was interesting you know in that i read about google's project aristotle where they looked at um you know what were the qualities of the best teams and number one was was psychological safety you know people felt safe they felt connected they felt cared for and it's obviously something that you really focus on number two is dependability you know people do what they say they're going to do and make it happen mm-hmm. clarity and um you know knowing what's expected when which you, you just talked about and then the next ones are about meaning and impact about you know adding adding benefit to clients how do you help your team to to tap into that meaning to that that sense of making a difference um i'm i'm a true believer of celebrating every success um because if we don't celebrate then you're not you're not really kind of enjoying you know what you're doing like the end of the day if you just work 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 and there's nothing at the end so it's to, to show for it in terms of some level of recognition or some level of celebration, then then what's life really about? Um, so so if you're if you're if you're in a team environment like we are in a services based business and and that team has worked pretty hard and long hours together to make things happen, then you you better also enjoy it and, and go out and have fun um, doing it. And and I'm, and then we do it at at our expense because we want to make sure that they're also having a ball of the time. And including the family members as well, because you know their family have been part of the journey. Because I guarantee every single one of those employees goes home, tells their spouse or you know what they've done for the day and how stressful it was, and, and they're there supporting them as well. So having them be part of that is just you know it's just as important. Um, so yeah, that to me is 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 important. Yeah, and I love that holistic approach to thinking of the family as well. And I once saw a pretty dramatic. Um, Example of that, and uh, we're on um, the HMAS Adelaide, largest frigate in the Australian Navy, and we were launching an Are You OK event, you know, so that that could be part of their DNA going away. But then they also had a, had a like a morning tea or, or a celebration. They were promoting people, you know, people get, you know, rising up the ranks and what have you. But they had all their employ- all their family members of, of of those people being promoted there, I thought that is brilliant. You know, just because mm. um, you know it's probably even more dramatic in something like the Navy, where you know people go away for three months or four mm. months or whatever. But uh, yeah, you know, if you can really think about the benefit you make to families, it's a really big thing. And one of the other people I interviewed was Bob Chapman. He wrote a book called Everybody Matters. A very very successful American um, businessman. You know. Grew business from twenty million to a billion dollars, but uh, one of his missions is to improve employees' families and relationships, and he does that by making work a pleasant place to be, a place to celebrate. So when they go, mm-hmm. they don't kick the cat, you know, they 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 can say about, look, we celebrated this today; it was fantastic. Um, I think it's a very underestimated element of how we work and. 
There's also a great book called um, The Progress Principle by a Harvard uh, lady called Therese Omblay. And, you know, she looked at real detail about what energizes people and what doesn't. And what does is knowing that you're making meaningful progress on important work and mm. celebrating little things, you know, little mm. things, just a, you know, thumbs up, mm. just as important as the formal celebrations. But, uh, you know, it really matters now, doesn't it? And when it's a competitive workplace, it has to be an attractive proposition for for good employees. Otherwise, they go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and we had a lot of that in the past. Like during during COVID, we had uh, we didn't make anybody redundant, but we did have a few people come and go. Um, and as a re- and I think it's also the whole change factor as well. And at that point in time, um, you know, we 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 tried to keep everybody, but unfortunately you know, to change and also the fact that customers and their, and what they were going through as well and the changes that they had to go through because they when you when you change somebody's routine that they've been doing for the last 20 years mm. and you change to a point where now you're just having to stay home and not go anywhere. And especially in Melbourne where we had the one worst lockdowns of, of, of all states in Australia. It, it changes people and it's, uh, it changes their moods, changes how they are. And, and as a result, that um, that also impacted a lot of friction between our team and the customers as well as a result of that. And we had people leave as a result of some of those 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 uh, those conflicts. Um, and what do you do? You know, your customers pay your bills, but at the same time, how do you kind of go to a customer and say, sorry, you have to be a bit more nicer? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, so it was, it, was, it was definitely a hard time, but I think coming out the back end of that, um, and and now having some level of normality and some level of you know people coming back to the office despite having a hybrid approach um, has has improved the attrition um, in our organisation and 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 not we haven't any, had any my lead in the last year or so so mm-hmm. yeah yeah it, pay, it pays off it's been an absolute pleasure catching up today Robert really enjoyed our our chat and I always finish by asking the same question. Thinking of that 18-year-old self getting into his car out of being kicked out of home, knowing what you know now with the maturity and the insights you have, what advice would you give that 18-year-old self now? Don't be scared to chase your dream. Don't be scared to try things out. Don't be scared if you fail because <laughs> if you don't, if you don't try, you'll regret it. You would regret it. You'd be in your dying bed one day thinking of all the things that you could have done when you should have just done it. And if you failed, guess what? What's the worst that could happen? Yeah. Brilliant. Love that as a uh, final message. Thanks so much for being part Thanks, of it. Thanks, Graham. Great to catch up. Thanks for joining us today. And we hope you've learned some practical tips that you can try with your team. If you've enjoyed this interview today, please rate us on your favorite podcast platform. We also welcome any comments. If you're interested in seeing more details about our simple, scalable WeCare365 mental health training programs, please visit us at wecare365.com.au. We strive to make these programs easily accessible, practical, and ongoing. If you've been impressed by a caring CEO you would like to see interviewed, please email us at support at wecare365.com.au. Thanks once again for joining us.